You're listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. On this edition, we'll check in with a health clinic network that serves some 70,000 people in the Bay Area about how they're navigating California's vaccine rollout. When we first started vaccinating phase 1A back in late December, I think it was a much more controlled process because we had a certain number of people we had to vaccinate. Um, However, now that we're moving on to 65 plus, we're seeing that the vaccine supply definitely varies week by week. We've been advocating in partnership with our clinic consortium and other clinics to really get more vaccines for our patients and for the community. I'm Laura Wenis, and this is Civic. Civic is underwritten in part by the San Francisco Foundation, which has been acting as a catalyst for change to build strong communities, foster civic leadership, and promote philanthropy in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1948. More at sff.org. In addition to mass vaccination sites and pharmacy megachains, coronavirus vaccines are being distributed by community clinics that serve populations where they've built strong connections and trust, through language competency, for example, or by serving low-income families. As part of our ongoing series of conversations about the coronavirus vaccine rollout, we've talked with a nursing home, a vaccine site in the Mission, and some homeless services providers. Find those in our podcast feed or on our website at sfpublicpress.org. Today, we'll bring you a discussion with representatives from Northeast Medical Services, or NEMS, which has multiple clinics in San Francisco and around the Bay Area, serving 70,000 patients, many of whom are low-income Chinese speakers. I spoke with Dr. Kenneth Tai, their chief health officer, and Jessica Ho, the government affairs and community liaison. Northeast Medical Services started vaccinating staff back in late December. On a Facebook post, all staff were encouraged to get vaccinated. I'm thinking this must be a huge undertaking. You have so many different clinics in different cities. I I think there's probably a lot of staff members to vaccinate. Could you give us an update on how far along you are? Sure, I I can um, uh, talk about that first. Um, So we have over 700 staff. Wow. Uh, in healthcare, um, and currently we're actually at ninety percent of our staff have been vaccinated since late December. So, can you talk a little bit about the logistics of this? Where are staff members getting the vaccine? Where is it coming from? We we get our supply um, through the state, through our local department of public health. You know, so they they allocate us uh, supplies on a weekly basis. So in December. Um, I think uh, we were allocated uh, supplies earlier because we are also promised to vaccinate other healthcare organizations uh, in terms of their staffing. So we were able to vaccinate our staff uh, first, and then we started vaccinating other organizations, healthcare workers as well. And how did that happen? How did how was it decided that uh, Northeast Medical Services would be playing that role for other healthcare workers as well? So we, we have 10 clinic sites um, serving 70,000 patients in the San Francisco Bay Area. So we're one of the uh, large players in San Francisco. And so uh, when county uh, approached us, um, just because they need help in terms of rolling out a vaccination, um, since we, are, we do have eight clinical sites in San Francisco, so they asked us if we were uh, willing to participate and start, uh, you know, vaccinating our staffers and, and then vaccinate other healthcare workers in the community. 
One of the things that has been in the news a lot about this vaccine is that it has to be kept really, really, really cold and that the timing can be a little bit tricky. Um, Did you already have facilities that enabled you to store the vaccine or how did you manage to make that happen? So, so there are two vaccines currently on the market uh, uh, th- uh, that has FDA EUA authorization. One is Moderna, the other one's Pfizer. The Pfizer vaccine will require ultra cold freezer. Moderna, on the other hand, uh, actually can just use regular freezer for storage. So initially, uh, we actually received Moderna vaccinations because mm-hmm. we all have a regular uh, freezer in our clinics, but we also have a ultra-cold freezer at one of our sites. So we're actually vaccinating both Moderna and Pfizer vaccines right now. Mm-hmm. And how did you roll this out among staff? Was it sort of very quickly everybody who is available gets vaccinated or was there a systematic, more deliberate, slower approach to determining who should be vaccinated first among healthcare staff? You know, when it, I, I can still remember that day, December 28th, uh, when we got our vaccine, we started vaccinating our staff. Uh, what we were told through our discussion with, you know, the state and the county is that we should stagger our staffing just because there are adverse side effects, especially with the second dose, so that you don't want to vaccinate all of your staff at once and, and you should uh, stagger your, your staff. So mm-hmm. o- otherwise everyone potentially may call in sick. Um, and that's that's what we went with. Uh, we actually did a 50% kind of rollout by departments. Fortunately, with the first shots, I think really um, there wasn't too many adverse, severe side effects, but definitely the second after the second dose, quite a number of our staff had to call in sick the following wow. day uh, because the reaction to the second shot was a lot more severe. Yeah. And what was the... What was the feeling among staff from from your perspective, from what you could tell in terms of people's concerns about getting the vaccine, either because of anticipating side effects or because of other concerns that they might have had? You know, we, we have heard reports about healthcare workers having some hesitancy around accepting the vaccine. I, I think generally our, our staff are pretty uh, receptive to the idea of vaccine. And I would say that there's definitely uh, quite a handful of uh, staff just wanted to wait and see. But I think for us, I think they see that, hey, you know, the colleagues are doing well and um, this is a life-saving vaccine since we deal with potential COVID patients day in and day out. So um, I think naturally it has not been a a huge problem for us in terms of vaccine hesitancy uh, among our staff. Uh, but we certainly have staff that just wanted to wait and see how other colleagues are doing before they uh, get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. As I understand it, supply has been the big problem with vaccines in San Francisco and basically everywhere for a while now. How have fluctuations in availability of vaccine doses affected the rollout for your health workers? Yeah, um, so Jessica, feel free to jump in. I know I'm trying yes, to please do. <laughs> so, um, so I think initial rollout was very challenging because we weren't getting reliable or consistent supplies. It's really distributed on a weekly basis. Um, some weeks we may get 100, another week we may not get any. So it's definitely challenging in the sense mm-hmm. of uh, try to coordinate and plan I think the registration process is not so easy as well, just because there is a, a set of questionnaires 
um, that uh, people who get vaccinated need to get through. And then the reporting structures also, you know, you need to report to the, uh, the immunization registry. So there are a lot of process initially just to uh, get someone registered, uh, vaccinated and reporting. So there are a lot of things to go through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when we first started vaccinating phase 1A back in late December, I think it was a much more controlled process because we had a certain number of people we had to vaccinate. Um, however, now that we're moving on to 65 plus, we, we're seeing that the vaccine supply definitely varies week by week. Um, we're definitely in partnership with uh, Department of Public Health. We work with them. We have a standing meeting actually with um, SFDPH and all the other, other outpatient healthcare organizations. But we found that they weren't actually focusing on vaccine distribution and allocation during that time. And we wanted to do to have more communication with them. So we've been advocating in partnership with our clinic consortium and other clinics to really get more vaccines for our patients and for the community. So in addition to a survey that they have us fill out on a weekly basis, we actually have to work directly with their liaisons to make sure we get the right vaccines at the right times, at the right clinics. It is definitely um, a process that is very complicated. And I just wanted to add that, um, you know, for our population, we mainly serve low income, uh, Asian monolingual Chinese speaking population. So there is definitely a digital divide as well, not just the language and mm-hmm. uh, health literacy. Um, we're finding out a lot of our patients, yeah, they may have a cell phone and maybe text uh, functionality, but a lot of them actually don't have email addresses, which mm-hmm. really complicates the registration process quite significantly. So a lot of these needed to be handheld in terms of uh, verbally talking, asking them questions, you know, so it's not so uh, efficient uh, in that sense. So we're realizing a lot of patients may actually be, it need to be in person explaining to them what they are. So in terms of questionnaires and, and so forth. So, you know, definitely that's a challenge for us in terms of technology. Oh, yes. Yeah, I do want to talk more about that. But Jessica, I'm hoping you could say a little bit more about how this process works on a day to day or week to week basis. Um, I'm hearing you both talk about how if week to week, the amount of vaccine that's allocated to you might fluctuate and you have to be in close contact with various government department liaisons. So how does this happen exactly? Do do you get word from somebody that, oh, this week, you're only going to get such and such amount of vaccine and you say, okay, well, we'll just deal with that? Or is it that you have to go to them and and ask how much of an allocation are we going to get this next week and then plan accordingly? Well, it's complicated. I think that it's both. Initially, there's a survey, like I mentioned, that goes out where our clinic operations managers will fill out our needs. But SFTPH doesn't receive the vaccines for the next week until Tuesday or Wednesday. So then they have to determine based on how much they've received to give the amount of vaccines to the partners that they're responsible for at this time. And so sometimes it just turns out that they need more for their high volume sites or for another site they're running and then they forget about us or whatever it is. (laughs) And so we have to go back and say, no, well, we really need these because we have these many patients scheduled for vaccines, either first dose or we have second dose patients that need to come back. So and that has to happen within a certain narrow time window, right? 
preferably yes so yeah. we, we definitely go back and ask them okay well we need these many so what they'll do is that they will survey all of the different health vaccine providers and say how many do you actually need now that we've distributed them and if they can find any then they do a redistribution process wow. so that's actually we we had to do that a few times in order to make sure we get the vaccines we needed for our patients and the people we've scheduled for vaccines either first or second dose yeah yeah, that does sound very complicated, particularly at a time when supply is so limited. And I'm sure that every clinic everywhere is saying we need X amount and, and the city and county and state kind of go, well, we don't have it, <laughs> right? Right. So, of course, as soon as you posted on social media that staff were getting the vaccine, someone chimed in and asked when patients could get it. And your website says that the vaccine is now available to certain patients. And as more vaccine supplies are released, you will notify eligible patients on how they can receive it. And as of just recently, you've actually also started using text messaging to let people know how to get a vaccine. There's also an all caps plea on your site to not call. I imagine there's a reason for that. What kind of reaction to news of the vaccine existing have you gotten from your patients? The reaction to the vaccine that we've received from patients has been across the board. We have patients that are calling nonstop, wanting the vaccine today, and that's great, right? We want people, especially our seniors, 65 years and older, to come. But then we've also seen the flip side where, you know, we do have some vaccine hesitancy among some of our patients. Um, like Dr. Tai mentioned, some of most of our patients are some of the most vulnerable populations, monolingual Chinese, limited English speaking, immigrants, low income. So, you know, we want to be sensitive to that. However, you know, despite the fact that, you know, we have all of these calls, we also want to make sure we get the right information out to our patients. So like you mentioned, we have our SMS text messaging system. We're updating our website regularly. We're putting out information through our social media platforms. But it's it's really been challenging to make sure we get the accurate information out to our patient base because, as you can imagine, it's even hard for us to keep track of what's happening as yeah. things change on such a quick basis. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Tai, do you want to add to that? I think that certainly we, we have uh, received a lot of calls, uh, not just from uh, our own patients, but a lot of uh, people in the community who are uh, really interested in to, uh, to get the vaccines. Um, I think that because we do have technical challenges in terms of reaching out to some of our patients, uh, we do want to, you know, uh, really, not really, I mean, I don't want to say save the vaccines uh, for these vulnerable populations. Um, and, you know, we do have vaccines really wanted to make sure that our seniors 65 and over do get the vaccine or have, have, have the priority to, to get the vaccination first. So, mm -hmm. um, so we did get a lot of uh, inquiries. You know, we're still in the process of getting through our uh, 65 and over. So we have close to uh, 14,065 and over uh, patients in our uh, network. Um, so we're, uh, you know, still in the midst of finishing that up and that uh, tier 1B, the other essential workers are now open, including teachers, uh, you know, uh, caregivers, restaurant, food industry, and, uh, you know, first responders. So we're working on that as well. Do you have any sense of what proportion of the 65 and older population that you serve has gotten a vaccine? Um, I think we, we actually looked at that data yesterday. Uh, I think roughly it's about uh, about half 
Um, so we have vaccinated close to 7,000, uh, 65 and over uh, patients right now. So it's about half. Um, like I said before, I think there are uh, two group of, uh, you know, patients. One is very eager. The other one just want to wait and see. And, you know, some of our patients have not gone out to uh, outside a- after the pandemic started last March. Um, so they decided, hey, I'm not going out. So, you know, why, why do I need to get vaccines? So I think the correct message needs to be there. I mean, you want them, you know, don't you want to see your grandchildren? Don't you want to, you know, go out for a walk or other things? So there are some motivations to get them in to get that uh, vaccines into their arms. I'm speaking with Dr. Kenneth Tai and Jessica Ho from Northeast Medical Services about the clinic's vaccine distribution. I'm hoping you could say a little bit more about how Northeast Medical Services is going to address this problem of the digital divide. I mean, so many healthcare providers and and (laughs) official sites about vaccination say, don't call us. And for a lot of people who don't, or maybe not comfortable using the internet, your instinct is to call in order to find out information. You just added texting, for example, and you were talking about maybe needing to communicate with people in person. Um, How are you going to do that? We want to make sure that we do it uh, by stages in prioritizations. Um, So in terms of, you know, we are outreaching to our um, 65 and over through text or do robocalls or uh, or whatnot. So we're also working on an online registration right now also so that, you know, as we open up to other essential workers like teachers and um, uh, people in the food industry, uh, potentially their digital divide is not as great so that they a lot of these they can register online and, and get an appointment online through, through scheduling um, online without calling anybody actually. Mm-hmm. So, of course, right now, only people who meet specific criteria can get the vaccine. And I'm wondering if you could talk about how this is maybe a bit different across the Bay Area, because you do work across multiple counties and decisions about vaccination are made at a county level, even though that's with deference to the state's vaccine rollout phase system. What has this meant in terms of determining eligibility and managing distribution of the vaccine to patients across different jurisdictions? I think one of the challenges is that, you know, we are one health center. So we have one call center manager that manages uh, the calls coming from all three counties. And when one county has decided to move to phase 1B and one is still in phase 1A, you know, it it causes confusion even among our staff. So I think one of the pieces about just not having the standardization is that we want to make sure that our staff have the most accurate, up-to-date information so that they're able to communicate to the patients what is available. So I think that's something that we're currently working on. Um, I, I think that it's been one of the challenges. Other challenges, of course, is just communicating with the right people in the different county or city of San Francisco, uh, making sure we're, we're getting the information to the right people so that we can get vaccines or support, whatever it is that we need. That was a challenge in and of itself to begin with. So I think mm-hmm. once we had that down, it's become a little bit easier to kind of figure out the process for each county, but it is different. So when we're working with San Francisco versus San Mateo County versus Santa Clara County, we just have to be cognizant of, of which jurisdiction we're working with. In addition to that, we also work really closely with the state and the federal level. So there's just a lot of different pieces that we, we have to consider. 
How clearly have the various county governments that you work with communicated with you about vaccine eligibility and supply and logistics? I would say that we, we generally have a weekly call uh, with each one of the local uh, Department of Public Health. Um, so that's communicated pretty frequently to us as well as through emails. Um, so, you know, I think for, for us, it's really communicate that to our staff and of course, um, you know, to, and then to, to our patients to make sure that they understand which tier are getting vaccinated. So it, it's a process. I know it, it, it could be frustrating and challenging at times, but um, I think we tried our best to follow the local DPH uh, jurisdiction in terms of recommendations, in terms of uh, rolling out. I mean, just for this week, on 22nd of February, Cemetery opened up to Tier 1B, and, and San Francisco just opened it today. And then San Jose, Santa Clara County is opening it up to Tier 1B on the 28th of uh, February. So, mm-hmm. so we, I mean, just, those are just uh, small nuances uh, with a lot of communication with our staff as well as our patients. Yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering what your advice would be to somebody who you know, maybe has a loved one who is eligible or, you know, in the category of people that you're trying to reach right now, um, who is a Northeast Medical Services patient, what should they do? I mean, they shouldn't call and you are going to be reaching out to patients directly. Is there anything that people can do to make sure that their loved ones who are eligible get the vaccine in a timely manner? We, we are sending mass texts uh, to everyone and, and, and we will be doing uh, robocalls as well. So, you know, I, I know our call center volume is pretty high, but I, I think that, you know, if there are questions, um, we want to make the process easier for everyone, right? So if they really qualify for, you know, either the 65 and over or in any of those occupation that they're in, then I think we will get them in as, as soon as we can. So does that mean if you have a loved one who's qualified, you should just maybe stay out of the way? Or is there a way to assist them with getting an appointment if they're eligible? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly, um, you know, our, our phone line is definitely, um, you know, been challenging. But I mean, certainly, if they don't receive any uh, messages from us, then definitely, I think they can try to reach out to us through either call or through email. We have email helpline as well. Mm-hmm. I just want to say, you know, I think it's not that we don't want our patients to call. We definitely have them at the top of mind. We want all of our patients to be vaccinated as soon yeah, as they're eligible. That is our number one concern. We're trying our best logistically. As you can tell, there's a lot of challenges, but we're we're, we're getting there. And um, like Dr. Tai said, if anyone is really interested in finding out more information and doesn't find that anything they find on our website or um, any communication otherwise has been is enough, I think definitely reach out and, and we want to make sure that the questions are answered and it'll help us know what else we can put on our website or how we can better communicate with our patients to make sure that they have what they need to be able to get vaccinated as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. So Northeast Medical Services is also part of the San Francisco Community Clinic Consortium, which serves more than 112,000 low-income, uninsured, and medically vulnerable people in San Francisco. And, and you alone serve some 55,000 of them. Could you talk a little bit about what this consortium has been doing that individual clinics can't during the pandemic in terms of coordination with other entities or communities or, or communication or, or logistics? 
with not just NEMS, right, there's also other clinics like Mission Neighborhood, South and Market, that HealthRite 360 were working together. And I think that's what it has been really effective in advocacy is, is not that it's the issue is affecting just one entity, but it affects a multitude of entities that affects 112,000 individuals in San Francisco, right? So I think that has been where SFCCC has been able to really coordinate that advocacy because we we have a larger voice together on, on similar issues. Yeah, I think definitely echo that in terms of advocacy. Um, initial uh, vaccine rollout, I, I think it was very challenging to get supplies um, because I think the Department of Public Health really wants to focus on the large mass vaccination sites. Um, so we weren't uh, able to be uh, getting a lot of vaccines. So we really have to, as a group, really advocate to the city to demonstrate our vulnerable population with the language, cultural uh, barriers, why we, we can serve them a lot better. Uh, you know, they, they, you know, we've been around for 50 years and we're embedded within the community. We know our patients so well. And, you know, I, I think there are some uh, fear and mistrust in the community as well. So we really pushed and asked for, hey, we, we need to have vaccines so that we can really, uh, you know, serve our vulnerable population without the right, you know, a lot of these mass vaccination sites initially did not have the right language uh, sets also. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of challenges and they were across the city. Um, so I think as a group, we were able to really demonstrate to the city uh, in terms of our, you know, our priority for our patients. When you say that there have been, there's been some fear and maybe mistrust, what kinds? Yeah, so it, it's it's actually pretty, uh, it's a very complicated issue. Um, I think that a lot of our patients, again, most are immigrants, and so they still watch news, you know, from China or Philippines. And there are a lot of disinformation. I think that anytime there are any vaccine, like Pfizer or Moderna vaccine associated death, it, they, they get uh, to be focused on uh, and really uh, blown out of proportion, even though there are no association with uh, the vaccines leading to death. So there are definitely a lot of dis- disinformation from the media from um, either China or Philippines. And, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, a lot of our patients do still get a lot of their information from the motherland. Um, So that's why there are definitely mistrust in the sense that, hey, you know, didn't didn't this uh, person, doctor, got a vaccine and die from it? So really, those are without merit. Mm -hmm. And, And I think another thing related to your question about why patients come to us rather than maybe going to some of the high volume sites one is transportation. A lot of the high volume sites require cars and a lot of our patients don't have cars. Yes. So that's definitely a barrier in and of itself. Um, but another issue of, is language access. Uh, some of these sites don't have the capacity to speak languages that our patients speak. And this is a very complicated personal process and choice to get a vaccine. And they want to be um, served by people who they feel like understand them and that can communicate with them and make them feel comfortable, answer their questions of which they may have many. And that's all something that we can provide that one-on-one personal connection, I think, more so than maybe a larger site that just has a lot of volume. Yeah. 
Well, we're running out of time here, but I want to give both of you an opportunity to talk about anything that I didn't specifically ask you about that you want to say. Uh, NEMS is actually one of the uh, health centers being selected to get the direct federal vaccines through Bi uh, President Biden's uh, initiative. We're supposed to get our first shipment next week. So hopefully this will supplement uh, our current uh, allocation from the state. Again, the idea is to have consistent and reliable supplies of vaccines to the most vulnerable populations. So currently, uh, there are 250 health centers uh, across the U.S. that are receiving direct COVID vaccines directly through uh, HRSA or through the federal government. So we're very excited to, to be uh, prioritized and recognized by President Biden and his team. Wow, I didn't know that. How did you manage to get on that list? That's not a big list. <laughs> I, I think that, uh, again, they, they, there are selection criteria. Jessica, I don't know off, uh, do you, if you remember off the top of the head. Uh, it's like yeah. homelessness, right. um, language is a, a thing. Uh, maybe, Jessica, you can elaborate. So the criteria that the Biden administration used to select the initial health centers that will be receiving vaccines include, like what Dr. Tai said, um, if there are we serve primarily rural areas or homeless populations of people who have uh, limited English proficiency. So some of the criteria were just related to who are the most vulnerable populations in America that need the vaccines now. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to thank both of you for making the time to talk with me. I'm sure you have a lot going on, so I appreciate it. Thank, thank you, you, Laura. Thank you. That was Dr. Kenneth Tai, the Chief Health Officer, and Jessica Ho, the Government Affairs and Community Liaison at Northeast Medical Services. I'm Laura Wenis, and you've been listening to Civic. Civic is underwritten in part by the San Francisco Foundation, which has been acting as a catalyst for change to build strong communities, foster civic leadership, and promote philanthropy in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1948. More at sff.org.